You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. In order to encourage curiosity, you need inquiry. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. I'll just say this from the start. I really wish I'd had this conversation a year ago, maybe even two. But if the last 18 months have taught us anything, we've learned we don't always get to decide what happens when, but we might get to decide what to do with it when it does happen. I say all of this because you may not know that in addition to creating a radio show at Arlington Independent Media, I'm also president of AIM's Board of Directors. At AIM, we try to provide resources that make it possible for everyone's voices and stories to be heard. If ever there were a couple of years where that was important. But the last year and a half were particularly wild, particularly VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Not just because of the stuff we all know, COVID, long overdue, halting start to racial reckoning, democracy under siege, but some AIM stuff as well, like location insecurities, layoffs, and a changing media universe that could easily leave us in the dust. And that VUCA thing is tough, and it's not going anywhere. It's our new abnormal. So I could have used some extra help in thinking about how to approach all of those challenges. Enter Larry Robertson. Larry Robertson is an Arlington-based innovation advisor who works and writes at the nexus of leadership, entrepreneurship, and creativity. He's a popular columnist for the likes of Inc. Magazine and Fast Company, and the author of two award-winning books, The Language of Man and A Deliberate Pause. He's got a new book just out called Rebel Leadership, How to Thrive in Uncertain Times. You can see why I might want to be talking with him. This is a show about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. And what I have come to appreciate about Larry, especially after reading his latest book, is that he seems to understand that our collective curiosity, our willingness, ability, commitment, as he says, to keep why up front, our embrace of what uncertainty offers, or at least our efforts not to go rigid in its face, that is going to see us through, AIM included. So I'm delighted to have rebel leadership guru Larry Robertson with me today. Welcome, Larry. Uh, Lynn, it's such a pleasure, and thank you for those very kind words. Well, congratulations on the new book. It's a it's a great read, and as I said, a great tool as well. Thanks, and you know it's it's so interesting to hear you talk about your your own reflection on this from you know wishing you had it a year ago, two years ago, to what you've been going through in the past eighteen months, and then you know what exists before us right now, because the book followed a similar journey. The book started long before. COVID and this awareness of this this VUCA environment, but then then we all entered this time zone of um, no time, <laughs> time right. time being dispersed everywhere in the last eighteen months of COVID, and I think it just 
it made it very real for everyone. Even if we haven't processed exactly what that means in our own world, we have a sense of it to be sure. I think that's right. I think it probably resonates in an intuitive way for more people than might otherwise have been the case. But I feel like COVID really drove it home. And maybe, you know, maybe in the way that we rough up surfaces in order to refinish them, that it sort of roughed us up in a way that we can receive the refinishing. So maybe your timing was actually really good. <laughs> yeah, boy, I love that image too, because I really, I really think that's what it is, this, you know, roughing up so that you're you're ready to take on the next coat. You're ready to to think about what what color that coat might be. And I think that's that's absolutely the case. And so the the interesting thing is it relates to the background of the book. And you know, I'll emphasize that subtitle, right? How to thrive in uncertain times is that the uncertain times that the book is built on, that the foundational argument is this entire wacky century to date, the last 20 going on 21 years has been characterized by increasing uncertainty. And you used that term VUCA earlier. That term came into vogue in certain areas around 2000. So it has filtered its way into, I would argue, every zone, every sector, every aspect of life. COVID just amplified our ability to see it. So that uncertainty has been there. That uncertainty is still there in different ways. And COVID roughed up our surface to say, oh my gosh, you know, not only has it been coding us, but how will we allow it to recode us going forward? Or how will we turn it to what we want that image to look like? Yeah. So let's do a quick definition on rebel leadership. Because I know when I first heard this, I packed all sorts of assumptions around it that were dead wrong. So <laughs> Good, it worked. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so tell us what you mean by rebel leadership. Sure. So I think of rebel leadership, the two words, as a new term. Whereas most people, yourself included, might initially think we're talking about two distinct terms, rebel and leadership. When you are in uncertain times, you absolutely need a combination of the best of both. So when I speak of the rebel part of rebel leadership, I'm talking about that sense of openness, openness to whether or not our assumptions that, that are longstanding uh, still should stand, or if they need adjustment, or if they should be replaced. It's openness to new ideas and new ways, not, not always because we're, we're seeking that in the most positive way, sometimes because we must respond to whatever's coming at us in a new way. So we have to have this openness and this willingness to adapt. And in that sense, we need to be innovative, not just in what we create individually, but how we create together. So that's the kind of rebel in rebel leadership. And on the leadership side, you know, there's a tendency to think of this queen or king sitting at the top of a hierarchy or a pyramid that is heroic in, in every sense from uh, the, the glory of the hero, that that person has all the ideas, they have all the answers, they give us directions to the fall of the hero. If something goes wrong, it all comes down to that one person and you know everything's gone to hell in a handbasket. 
that's not the way that I'm talking about leadership. Leadership, in my mind, is not only opening up the idea of sharing leadership across a, a group or culture, whatever it might be, but creating the environment that invites that in everybody in that environment. So when you put those two things together, we're really talking about this movement to create this adaptive space in, in our own heads, in the environment in which we work, whether that's virtual or physical or some hybrid combination of it. That's what rebel leadership is. And it is precisely what we need in a VUCA environment because yeah. things are constantly moving. You know, it's interesting because as I was describing it to somebody, I was like, you know, maybe we need to be thinking about this as not rebel the noun, but rebel the verb. Mm -hmm. that it's a busting out of our ideas of leadership as a singular, as a solo enterprise, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that possibility of the double entendre there and the way of yeah. sort of thinking about it differently. And it, and it does go further, right? And in the sense that when we, when we think about people rebelling, we think about them doing it for selfish reasons. Yes. When we and and this is really about the the rebel part of this is realizing that we actually get the highest return in value and the most lasting impact when we don't think about it that way. So there's you know that double entendre is there in so many ways, and and the title was quite purposefully to call out that reaction of oh I know exactly what that is with all its negative connotations and then to reveal something quite different. There are really these themes of humility, agility, moral courage that kind of underlie this that are that are a singular experience, but they are realized in a collective way. And uh, I think that's just I think that's just really very powerful. I want to I actually want to go back because I I confess I did a word search in the book on curiosity, uh, which shows up exactly three times, two of yep. them on a single page. And yet I came away from this with the sense that curiosity sort of undergirds much of what you have to say. Do you think so? I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. So yeah. just for a little context for listeners, you, you know this and I know this, but this is my third book. So the first book was focused on entrepreneurship. The second book was focused on creativity. And this third book is focused on leadership. Now, I'm, I'm a believer and I'm also a practitioner that to get the best of any one of those, you need those three things in combination. So even though the language of the, this book is heavily focused on leadership, if I was just to call out a word, it is borrowing on the context of those previous two books and, and really in particular, the last book on creativity heavily. And if you were to search the book for the word creativity, you would see it come up a lot a more. Lot. Yeah. But, but in another sense, it's really a, a build on the thinking. So I, I try to point back to some of those primary themes, especially in the last book without burdening the reader with the deep dive that the last book did. But but curiosity is absolutely at the core. You give us a little taste of both. There are these these wonderful interviews that you from which you quote pretty extensively, which is a really nice dip into the deep dive, if you will. But then you're kind of threading them together. So it's a really nice weave. And I think I was particularly struck 
by the importance of inquiry. Mm-hmm. Not quite the same thing as curiosity, but definitely a place where that same sort of spirit shows up. And particularly in the importance of creating a culture of inquiry. And you wrote that the the strength of inquiry is multifaceted. Questions cause us to reconsider and reconfirm, to not get stuck in our ways or miss seeing when the landscape shifts away from us. Though questions are often viewed as a means of posing challenge, they also have the ability to unite. I loved this sentence. Tell me oh, more. Thank you. Thank you. You and I in particular could have an intellectual debate about, you know, what is the line between that separates curiosity from inquiry? And yet I'm going to lean the other way, which is to say, if in order to encourage curiosity, you need inquiry. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's a powerful tool for the individual, meaning if I become a practitioner of inquiry. If I make sure it's there in, in every day, if not in every thought, if I play with inquiry in a whole range of ways, I'm going to increase my curiosity because they're, they're, the two feed one another, right? If I'm in a leadership position and I want to encourage more curiosity across my team, within the culture of our organization, in the things we do, Inquiry is universally the best way to gather the most people to come to the curiosity table and explore. They're not going to do it the same way. They're not all going to ask the same questions either. They're certainly not going to all arrive at the same answers. But but that, that inquiry foundation really helps to feed curiosity. So one, one of the stories, as you know, that I tell in the book, one of my favorite ones, uh, refers to a MacArthur fellow I, I interviewed, Deborah Meyer. And Deborah Meyer is an education reformer, which in shorthand, that means when schools are in trouble, Deb is, is the leader of teams that come in and, and, and try to rethink and reinvent what those schools could be. When new school models and new teaching models are, are being tried out, Deb is usually at the front of that charge. No matter what Deb is doing and no matter who she engages, she thinks in terms of the five habits of the mind. Not surprisingly, the five habits are five questions, but think about how they work. These are, these are really simplistic in some ways and then enormously powerful. The first habit of the mind is to ask, how do we know what we know? So think about, you know, even if it's brief, even if it's, if it's 10 seconds, starting a day, starting a meeting, starting a project you're already deep in and asking that question, how do we know what we know? It's an opportunity to revisit assumptions, not necessarily to change them, throw them out wholesale, whatever, but to the act of revisiting. It goes to the second habit, which is, is there a pattern? Because even when we question uh, our assumptions, even when we look at the world around us, we're not looking for the outliers so much as we're looking for the patterns in the outliers or even the patterns in what exists. Those two questions, how do we know what we know? Is there a pattern? Deb would say always lead to some form of the third habit of the mind, which is what if? What if we took those observations? What if we took that information that's coming at us and we went this direction, either to solve something or to pursue something new or whatever it might be? The fourth habit of the mind is, is there another way? And it's actually my favorite of the four, of the five, because 
it's the question that encourages you not to fall in love with your ideas, right? There's always another way. Is it something we're going to pursue? Doesn't matter. Just reminding yourself that you almost start the process over again with how do we know what we know? Is there a pattern? And what if by embracing that fourth habit? And then the final habit of the mind is who cares? Because if it isn't pointing towards people at some level, or if they don't care about what you're doing, then whatever value you might see in it really is a lot less than what might be. Here's the most powerful thing I learned from Deb, though. The frequency with which even people who say, yep, I'm going to practice the five habits of the mind, attempt to turn the questions into statements. Mm. So they say, this is what we know. The pattern is, this is what we're going to do. And to me, it amplifies everything we're talking about here, because what she's saying is if those questions are always present, not just those questions, but questions in general, and if we recognize that leaving them open to some degree, and I don't mean never having a plan. I don't mean never pursuing something specific. You have to do those things. But if those questions remain open, so does your curiosity. Yeah. So does your habit of pursuing it. So I think there's a direct tie between those things. Well, I'm I'm sort of tickled to hear that's one of your favorite stories because it was definitely one of the things that I pulled out as well. Um, oh, good. I mean, it's, as you know, I collect curiosity practices, right? And I'm like, well, here we are. This is a great curiosity practice package right here, yes. um, which I will tell you I have been using since the moment I read it in the book. So thank you for that. And you have oh, others. Yes. I mean, you have others. I mean, I mentioned it in the intro that keep why up front, which I think mm. is another interesting double entendre. Good, mm -hmm. good on you. I think it's just, I think maybe it was just a section header, but, but to me, it's both this keep your purpose, keep your why of why you're doing things up front, but always be coming at it with this you know, like the Toyota five layers of why, you know, kind of mm -hmm. always sort of asking this why. So it's both this anchor and this wind that you keep blowing past this with, kind of testing it, pushing it, perhaps turning it. Is that how you think of it? And I guess it's harder than it seems like it should be to do. Any hmm. thoughts about why that is? Yeah, so let's let's start in that reverse order. I think the reason it's hard, I'm going to I'm going to just use the phrase which I think you're right was a subheader in in one of the chapters. It I think part of the reason why it's hard to keep why up front really has two two pieces to it. One is our demand for specificity Mm. We, mm -hmm. we want, we think in terms of outcomes, even better if they're things we can touch and feel. We want them to have a certain um, value assigned to them, whether that's a monetary value or it's some other kind of value. We want to know that they ha can have, or even better, already have had an impact. And that's tough when you're generally asking that question of why. I mean, this really comes full circle to what we talked about a few minutes ago. Why is really inviting your curiosity out, but it's doing one further thing that is critical. It's tying it to what you care about. Yeah. It's tying it to who you are. 
It's tying it to why do you bring all the resources that you have together to do anything? And that is more of a general um, power and energy than it is something specific. So, so this, this, you know, keeping why up front, we want to, why we want to, because, right. We want it to be a very specific answer. And I think that the second thing is, is that we think of it as this definitive act. If we put why up front once, if we as a team decide why we're in X business or why we pursue uh, why social cause, you know, so on and so forth. Then once we've decided that, I mean, we just would print it up and we frame it and we put it on the wall and that that's our why, right? Well, that's the difference between putting why up front and keeping why up front. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think that's the, the difficulty of it. I think the other thing that's often overlooked is, especially when we talk about why in terms of organizations, we forget that it begins with individuals. And that each individual that's part of a group, part of a team, uh, doesn't necessarily need to be a company. They they come with their own version of that, sometimes more conscious than others. And it feeds their desire to want to sign up to be part of the larger why, the larger shared purpose that an organization has. But we tend to lump those things together. And so we're not really encouraging individuals to think about their, their own why. But we're also setting ourselves up that the collective why is somehow going to satisfy everybody in the same way. And that makes it enormously hard to keep why up front because it has this layer of dissatisfaction when it's not seen as separated into the the two pieces. And I'll throw this in as a final thing. Not everybody sits around and contemplates why all the time. That's not really what this is about. Some people are truly deep thinkers and maybe they start every day asking that. And many people are on the other end of the spectrum. But to acknowledge that why plays a role in everything you do afterwards, It, it drives the how and the what, as Simon Sinek would say, to acknowledge that and to think of it as a compass point that you you refer back to on on a regular basis that's the most important thing it is you know i talked about in the language of man how on questions like this some people live in the shallow end of the pool and some people live in the deep end of the pool but those who really get the most out of questions like why swim between the two and so whatever your lane is like however you like to swim just realize that it's a spectrum and that you need to spend a little bit of time in each, but according to your own way of doing things. That's, that's how I think of why. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, um, before I let you go, I want to dig in into <laughs> something, find some layers. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> My big jar of wannabe analogies here. And um, I'm going to take out three slips of paper, one for you, one for me, one for our audience. I'm going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these papers. <laughs> uh, okay. Yours is rainbow. How is curiosity like a rainbow? Mine is turtle. How is curiosity like a turtle? And I have <clears throat> one for the audience as well. You want to go or you want me to give it a shot first? You know, I, I have listened to so many of your episodes where everybody else goes first. I would love to have you go first. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So a turtle. How is curiosity like a turtle? 
you know, um, a turtle uh, carries its shell with it everywhere. And, um, and we think of it as sort of a protective thing, but it's also kind of a, it's like a Swiss army knife, right? It's like got multiple utilities. And I think we should be like turtles and carry our curiosity with us everywhere and sometimes use it as a protective device, but also use it in that sort of Swiss army knife, like multifaceted way. So that's how I'm going to say curiosity is like a turtle. Gosh, I, I love that. And in my head, it's like, I was going a completely different direction. So I know, this that's is what wonderful. I love about this. <laughs> <laughs> so curiosity is like a rainbow. Boy, I, so many things popped into my head at once, but I'm going to call out one chief thing. There's such range of color in a mm. rainbow. And some of those colors are obvious, but there are also blurring sections between the colors. And it's the diversity and the range across those colors and how they come together that really makes curiosity and anything that comes out of it powerful. If you were to try to select out of one zone, you know, blue or red or green or whatever it might be, then you're not getting the full essence of curiosity. Even more so if you try to grab onto a single color or even a, a single uh, position of that rainbow at any point in time, it's probably going to evaporate before you. But if you see it as the full spectrum, I think that's where it becomes rich and, and really valuable. Nice. Nice. I really appreciate that. You know, we have, this is rainbow season here in Washington, DC, and they are, they're, they're ephemeral and it's the total package that makes them. It yeah. goes back to the, it's not about this, the singular heroic color. It's about the group. I love it. It's I love absolutely it. true. You brought us full circle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, this has been great. Thank you so much for this. I look forward, you know, we were talking before, before the show started about the launch of the book and there's a bit of a sprint in the release of a book, but kind of a longer marathon for its real traction. So I wish you great traction. Thank you so much. And I just have to say, Lynn, it's been an absolute privilege. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your tortilla chips analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Larry Robertson, and to Kai Robertson for the introduction. Check out links on his new book, Rebel Leadership, and many columns all on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Curio by Vacant Distillery via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. I think what's interesting for, for me and what I would also encourage your listeners to do is to reflect back on what we've talked about. So rather than something new, Every time I look at subject matter like keeping your why out in front of you, right? Every time I even think about curiosity and where it plays into some of these areas that we often discount its, its ability to be there, right? I, I see something new. So 
if I was to talk about anything further, it would be to say, revisit that ground over and over again. That's that that's where the real pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is. <laughs> Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.